Hello and welcome to the Humanizing Growth podcast series brought to you by the Institute for Real Growth. Each week, IRG founders Frank von den Driest and Mark de Swan-Arons will be talking to global leaders and practitioners to discuss what it takes to drive human-centric growth. For more information, visit www.instituteforrealgrowth.com. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to all viewers from all around the world. My name is uh, Frank van den Driest. I work with the Institute for Real Growth. I have with me uh, Andrew Clark, global president of Mars Wrigley. Let me tell you a little bit about Mars. Mars has uh, been around for more than 100 years. They count over 125,000 associates, as they call them. And the businesses cover pet care, uh, food, edge, and then Mars Wrigley. So, uh, Andrew, you're a lifer at Mars. You spent most of the first 20 years in category and sales leadership roles, uh, then became uh, the chief uh, customer officer of uh, Mars Global. And then a bit later, you also added the, uh, the CMO job to that, which is a really interesting perspective. And then two years ago, you became the global president for all of Mars Wrigley. I think it was about... Six years or so that uh, we met, we were both invited by WPP for a tour through Silicon Valley. And uh, we basically visited all of the, the big tech players. The only thing I forgot to do was buy some shares uh, at that time. But, uh, but anyway, um, very warm welcome, Andrew. Great to have you here. And let me start by asking you, where are you and how are you? Hi Frank, hi everyone. Yes, I'm, uh, I'm well, thank you. I'm, uh, I'm sitting here as we speak in Chicago, which is the, uh, the home of, uh, of Mars Wrigley. I'm uh, sitting in this uh, very same room, probably like many of you on the call, been in the same room for the last uh, six months. Feels like I haven't left the room actually, although I have to say, Frank, your, your home office looks a lot more interesting than, than my home office, but uh, I'm pleased to say I'm doing well. Uh, family, uh, family doing well, uh, children are back to school, I'm delighted to say, and uh, very much looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, great. Andrew, what I remember from that uh, trip in, uh, through Silicon Valley is that uh, we visited quite a lot of companies and I wrote a note to, to, to all the people working uh, with my, uh, the consultancy I was working at the time. And I said that I had expected to learn a lot and to you know, share insights on technology and latest developments on AI, etc. However, the thing that struck me most from that, from that trip was the fact that we visited some very clear off performers, but we also visited the likes of Yahoo and others that, that are either not around anymore or are having very tough times. And, and I noticed there were three very fundamental differences between the off performers we visited and the, and the laggards. And the off performers were all super ambitious, almost aggressive, but at the same time, they were also humble. I remember Phil Schindler from uh, Google saying, we're positively paranoid. And the third element was that they were extremely clear about their purpose. Everybody knew any moment they would be woken up in the night, what they would go to work for or what their company stood for. So I don't know if you recognize that but from that trip, but I'm mostly interested to, to, to hear from you you know, to what extent these three characteristics apply to the Mars Wrigley business? 
I, was a, I, I agree with you. It was an it was a incredibly uh, insightful trip, Frank. I can't believe it's uh, six years already. Um, I mean, I think it's a great question. I think in, in simple terms, I would start with Mars Inc. rather than Mars Wrigley. Uh, and I would say I absolutely recognise it. This is a business that's been around, as you, as you said, for well over 100 years. <clears throat> and the, the founders were truly, truly entrepreneurial. Still a family business today. Uh, and I think that really permeates all the way through, through the DNA. So I think that the courage, the long-term thinking, the clarity of vision and purpose, the ability to, to really stay the, the course and indeed the humbleness. I, I mean, I totally recognize that. And, you know, for what it's worth, in many ways, that's the reason I've stayed for 20 years at, at Mars. You know, that uh, ability to make a difference uh, for the long run. So how much of your time do you spend nurturing or fostering those characteristics at, at Mars Wrigley? literally every day, every moment, every interaction. I think the business is founded on five principles. I'm sure you're well aware of that. I'm sure many of the the listeners, the viewers are well aware of that uh, in Mars. And and the the history of the five principles is pretty incredible, actually. So um, it goes back to 1947, I believe, a letter that was written by Forrest Senior at the time, who was running the business. And he talked about uh, a mutuality of benefits and, and services. Uh, and in many ways, that was ahead of his time. You think back to 1947 and where we are today, and really his vision was about stakeholders across the whole chain, if you like, not, not just profit, but stakeholders, whether that's consumers, customers, even competitors, uh, associates, as we call them. Uh, and I think that that sort of mutuality as a principle has really shone through everything. We call it sort of mutuality of ec- economics now. And that really permeates everything we do day in and day out, frankly. So I remember from visiting the Mars offices over the years as a consultant in the most, uh, most of the times, uh, like any office, factory, whatever, you always see this plaquette with these uh, five principles or values, you call them principles, but have they remained the same over time? So they, they're very much alive and well today across, across geographies, across cultures, across businesses, across generations really and it, that's what that unites our 125,000 uh, associates and indeed all of our partners externally as well so very very much alive and well and very much permeating the way we do business today I think just for just for the listeners the the five are I mean easy to look these up yeah, yeah. Uh, quality efficiency mutuality responsibility and freedom and I think the two most distinctive we talked a little bit about mutuality but the other one for me that's distinctive is the freedom element given we're a private business for 100 plus years. I find that super interesting. Uh, I had a conversation, a great conversation with Michael Breen. He's the CEO and founder of uh, Human Rights First. And he said, we talked a lot about purpose, his personal passion and purpose. And uh, because I think it always, why people do what they do is often driven by what they're passionate about. And he said, well, Frank, yeah, purpose, purpose changes over time. My values, they're rock solid, that won't change. Is that something that, even on like a personal level, that, that, that you would agree with? Oh, that's, a, that's, that's a great question. What a chicken and egg question in, in uh, some ways. I mean, the principles, as I've just said, have been the foundation of, of Mars for, for decades now. But actually, I, I would argue that the purpose, even though we've articulated it much more sharply in the last couple of years, I would argue that the purpose really was what drove that. So this sort of mutuality of, of benefits, mutuality of economics, if you like. 
I think that's been the guiding purpose of Mars, and that still very much is this sort of long-term vision, this ability to make a difference across generations, to create a business that is doing better in society. And I think in you know in today's world, that's I would argue more relevant than ever. We go through you know all going through COVID, all the difficult times that that's providing, uh, uh, creating for us, and you know calling into question a lot of capitalism in many ways. And I think this sort of mutuality of economics probably ahead of its time in. 1947 arguably we haven't cracked it today as we sit here today in 2020 but i think it's asking a lot of questions about big businesses like ours and our responsibility to do the right thing in in the world so uh, so i would argue it's both i mean being having clear principles is obviously vital but i do think we've always had that that clear purpose as, as well which we've now articulated much more sharply to enable our associates to rally behind yeah, that was exactly what I just want to talk about next is, is that purpose. Uh, I wrote down, we believe the world we want uh, tomorrow starts with how we do business today. That, that, that is the articulation of the Mars, Mars purpose, right? So is there one Mars purpose or is, do the different like food and Mars Wrigley have different purposes? The brands have different purposes? It's a good case study as well. So uh, yes, is, yes, yes, and yes is the answer. Although... Um, they all ladder back to the Marsing purpose you've just shared. Uh, as CMO, I worked on, on that purpose in uh, 2017, um, which we launched in, in 20, 2018, 2019. Um, and that's resonated very well with our associates across the business. And it enables us as a private business to be, I think, much more vocal externally as well. But to answer your question, the segment businesses that we have have their own purposes. So I worked in pet care for, for 10 years, as you're probably aware, uh, proud to be in Mars Wrigley now, but pet care, better world for pets. And that ladders very nicely up into the Mars in purpose, the Mars Wrigley purpose, better moments, more smiles, again, links, links nicely together. And then, as you say, going all the way down into the brands, picking the, the brands, making sure that they authentically stand for something. A great example is, is pedigree. Um, feed the goods and, and what's come from that ladders all the way back to Better World for Pets and, and the Marsing purpose. So, uh, yeah, that's the, uh, that's the idea when we get it right. And authenticity, of course, is, uh, is key all the way through that. The literature on purpose almost always has at some point where they say, well, leaders and actually all employees or associates, as you call them, uh, should align their own purpose with the business they work with or, or vice versa, they should be aligned. To what extent is that the case for you? I mean, did you define uh, your own purpose in life? I'd, uh, I'd sound super, super uh, smart if I said yes, but uh, <laughs> I think in reality this evolves. And um, I think when I reflect, um, when I reflect over my 20 years with Mars, as I said a few minutes ago, the reason why I've stayed, uh, one of the primary reasons why I've stayed, I think is that personal fit with, with Mars, with the five principles and, and how we do business. Yes, over the course of the, the 20 years, I've um, been the beneficiary of some brilliant leadership training. And of course, that's helped to define my purpose. I'm sure many of us have, have done that. And, and yes, that ladders very nicely to what we're trying to create in, in Mars. And you know, put, put simply for me, um, this is about the ability to make a difference, uh, make a difference in the world, make a difference with the, the teams that I lead, the associates that I work with. We're all in service of building a better business and a better legacy, a better legacy and a, a better business that I can then hand over to my successor. So that's how I would proudly articulate, uh, articulate it, Frank. And I think you know, we, you know, very important for us is to make sure our, our leaders, but also all of our associates, um, have the ability to, to feel themselves and be, to be, be themselves, bring the best of themselves 
to Mars and, 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 and our business and to live the purpose. And I think that's, uh, if you get that right, it really unlocks some brilliant creativity uh, all the way through the business. I remember presenting at, at some day, some, I had worked um, with Fiona Hughes on, on the Whiskers brand purpose. And we yeah. came to the beautiful uh, nurture nature, nurture the cats through nature. And I remember the CEO, I forgot his name at the time, and all of the board were there and all the brand leaders had to present their progress on purpose work. And I remember that I asked him, do you feel that purpose for these brands is an add-on or an integral part of, let's say, what the brand is all about. And, and basically the conclusion was that we agreed to disagree on, on the answer to that. But what would your answer be, Andrew, to that? So the CEO at the time, I think it was Paul Michaels, um, yeah, goes back in the day. I was in pet care at the time many years ago. I, I think the, we've got some brilliant examples where it's completely congruent. Yeah. Whiskers is a good example. Pedigree is a good example. The work we've done on Maltesers is a, is, a, is a great example. Skittles even on the Mars Wrigley site. But we haven't got it for every single brand. And there's still more opportunities to make sure we get that real authenticity right, what each individual brand stands for. So I, I, my answer would, would say, yes, ideally you can make it, make it work. And when you get it right, it's, it's magic. I'm sure you know, the plenty of uh, CMOs on the call would, would agree with that. There's some fantastic case studies. I, I, I would say probably the one that, resonates the most to me is is pedigree i mentioned that before i worked in pet care for 10 years i won't labor a case study that's not really the point of this conversation and the case study is available to read but i think it's a brilliant example of taking what was what still is one of our biggest brands but was struggling for relevancy with consumers in an increasingly commoditized space and getting super clear on what the purpose stood for the guardrails uh, the archetype the, the the brand compass but particularly the purpose has driven a whole host of creativity all the way through the business. And again, without laboring it now, multi-award winning and getting fantastic growth. So some brilliant stories when we get it right, but it has to be authentic. And that, of course, takes time. Um, I think that the other beauty, uh, sorry, long answer, Frank, the other beauty, if you get this right, of course, is it gives you so much freedom. So in, in the COVID times when, of course, it, it turned on its head for all of us, how we uh, generate creative our ability to respond quickly. Um, for example, our Maltesers campaign in the UK or what we did with Snickers, um, because we were crystal clear on what the brand stands for, it gave us real permission and the local markets permission to move quickly without asking questions about whether this was right or wrong. So I think it's had a multiplier effect across the business as a result. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. To what extent do you, are you involved? Because, because you oversee the whole of the business in, in the brands, their purpose, and, and activating those purposes? Yeah, of course, now in Marjorie, I, I, still, I still take a, a keen in, interest and, in, I guess, a sponsorship role for, for marketing across Mars Inc. Um, as part of the leadership team, um, working very closely with the other CMOs, Jane, Jane in, uh, in Pet Care, Rafa in, in Food, for example, Catherine, now our Chief Growth Officer in, in Mars Wrigley. So, um, take a keen interest across the business, but of course for, for Mars Wrigley, absolutely. And um, the brands are, it's cliche, but the lifeblood of the business, we have to continually make our brands relevant and reinvent them. We've got five of our brands that are above a billion dollars, which is amazing in Mars Wrigley, 11 in Mars Inc, five in Mars Wrigley. And we've got many others that have got potential to grow to that sort of level. So absolutely I do. And I'm you know, very proud of the marketing teams, the marketing talent that we've got in the business, actually across the business, it uh, gives us a real uh, competitive advantage. That combined with the long-term 
agency partnerships we've got. So, so the, the, the simple answer is yes. And then in, in addition, um, with Grant Readout, our CEO, myself, Jane, the other CMOs, we will, we will review the brands, a bit like your example with Paul Michaels and, and Whiskers. We'll have a, a, a yearly session, if not ever a six-monthly session, but certainly a yearly session where we'll get really into the creative. And that, that serves a number of purposes, actually. It's, um, I think above anything else, it gives a real connection point for our brilliant marketing associates to be proud of the work that they've, they've done and uh, allows Grant and I to sort of connect the dots across the, the wider organization. So, uh, so, yes, Frank. Let me throw in a million-dollar question. How do you define growth? Personally or as a business? As a business. As a business. I mean, this is, I'm pleased to say this is one that we've got real alignment on over the last like, five years. We've got increasing clarity on. And this is critical, of course, for uh, any business, but for a family business, from the owners to the next generations down. So generation four really are on the board now. Six members of generation four are, are board members, two from each branch of the family making sure that the board is aligned with our vision of, of growth and, of course, the businesses. And the way we define it, to answer your question, really four dimensions. Firstly, strong financial performance. I think every business, of course, would have that. And, of course, if you don't have strong financial performance, you can't do anything else. So that's the freedom element. Secondly, quality of growth. And the double click here is making sure that our brands, our markets, our the categories in which we operate are in tailwinds. They're in areas that are going to grow. They're in areas that are relevant for the consumers of the future and how we're creating new businesses, new brands, making our existing brands relevant for, for quality growth is a second area. Perhaps um, more interestingly, those two are, I guess, obvious for, for most on the call. The other two areas, which are, again bring the sort of mutuality of economics, this long-term vision to life are what we call trusted partner. So how trusted are we with all the stakeholders I mentioned before, our associates, particularly our associates starting, starting there, but also our, our suppliers, our customers, our distributors, NGOs, etc. So how, what's the trust level with our partnerships? And, and then finally, how do we make sure we make a positive societal impact where sustainability fits? In my case, uh, Coco's key, so Coco for generations, making sure we do the right thing for the long run. So that's the definition across those four areas. And actually our long-term incentive as a, as a senior leadership team is balanced across those four. And that leads to some very difficult trade-off conversations, as you, can, as you can well imagine. But it also means that we can be true to our purpose. We can be true to the shareholders' ambitions of where we take Mars for the long run. It's, it's interesting. That's a clear and, and great answer, Andrew. But what I find really interesting is that you start with the financial performance. I myself believe that that financial performance is actually a result of the other three. But, but this is where, you know, also in our leadership program, we have a lot of discussion around. So people, well, the leadership, they, you know, they say all the right things. Uh, but in the end of the day, 90% of the conversations are, are you going to make next quarter's budget? And that's what the pressure is on. And, and, and I'm afraid I think Mars is not an exception to that. Philosoph philosophically, but, but actually when I, was, uh, when I owned my own company, uh, also very practically, we said the KPIs were not on the turnover, on the profit, but on the quality of the client relationships, et cetera, all the things you mentioned. I, I just read uh, the other day that um, the CEO of Taobao in, uh, in, in China, the, the huge... Uh, let's say a commerce platform 
that the key KPI is not the amount of turnover, it's the number of jobs created through the platform, because this allows people to, to set up their own store. So I think the order question here is really important. It is, you know, it's to do with how much time do you spend, you know, on your, I don't know, town halls that, that you undoubtedly do every, uh, every so many uh, times. How much do you talk about the top line, the bottom line, and how much do you talk about quality of relationship, partnerships, uh, the things you just mentioned? And, and, and do you steer on, on the right order? How do you see that, Andrew? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the idea of what, what I've just described is the tension between the four. I think, um, as, as Grant, our CEO, would say, you know, you know pur purpose without performance is you, you, you can't do it. Um, so you, you've got to have the strong financial performance. It's, uh, it's critical, and that's critical for the future as well, of course. You know, we've been around for 100 plus years. How are we around for another 100 plus years? We need, we absolutely need that financial freedom to stay to stay private so financial performance is key but then it's is then what we choose to do with that that financial performance that strong financial performance um and that's where the other three components are, are critical where we invest for the long run do we stay the course do we do the difficult things that are the right things for the long run whether that's facing into the the, the uh the cocoa challenges in the in the supply chain a generational challenge like plastics and recyclable packaging are we putting enough money there to invest behind them are we building the long-term partnerships which we do we do measure and, and I think we would proudly say back to that mutuality piece of you know back to my CMO days out some of our agency partnerships have been around for, as you know for decades so these are really important artifacts of what Mars is about but I would say if you, you know you can argue the other way around of course but you've got to have strong financial performance to give you that freedom and then it uh, one one uh, blends off the off the others. Yeah. Hey, Andrew, um, and, and just I'm going to read uh, the first question from Simon Wierney, an associate at, uh, at Mars. He has a question related to the growth. That's why I come to it. He asks, so um, he talks about the challenges uh, with regards to technology and, and, and the changing ways we uh, manage supply chains. And uh, he, he wants to know about the role of human technology partnerships. Uh, from a perspective of greater need to upskill and train associates of the new ways of working and new technology shaping those processes. How do you, uh, do you have a view on this? Lots of angles to this one, Simon and, and, and Frank and, and everyone. I think, um, you know, firstly, I would say that Mars Inc., Mars Wrigley is on a very fast digitization journey as uh, many businesses are, of course. Um, I was fortunate as CMO to be um, fortunate, I was sort of thrown into that very difficult phase of turbulence when digital was really ramping up as when we were together, as you said, in the, in the West Coast. And we've made a number of very significant investments, um, boosts in, in talent, uh, external hires, um, and re-looked at a number of our partnerships to give us that best blend to then enable us to, to move forward. So, for example, Sandeep, who joined us as Chief Digital Officer, has been a brilliant disruptor. Uh, and a brilliant collaborator. Uh, he's attracted some fantastic talent into the digital business, but also the business units. And then the, the collaboration with each of the business units to enable us to move forward across the whole value chain has been, has been incredible. Uh, and a lot of this then back to the human side is how do we, of course, um, 
bringing talent from the outside where we need it, where we don't have the capabilities. Uh, we've just made a senior hire in media, for example, um, into my team uh, to, to try and boost us in that area. But also, how do we, to the question, how do we reskill our existing teams and how does technology enable us? And that, I'm pleased to say, goes across the whole supply chain. So from our factory associates, it enables us to do virtual reality training, uh, as an example. Actually, interestingly, through COVID, because of all the extra steps we put in place, plus the safety culture we've had, we've got the lowest ever safety issues. I know you're only as good as your last shift, but it just shows you what's possible turning sort of adversity into a, into a positive, which is, which is quite, uh, quite interesting. And then as you go across the business, we're, um, we're really trying to put in place different ways of working. So if I look at my team, we put in place a very different way to innovate. How do we put in uh, agile teams dedicated to innovation projects, working on sprints, metered funding, enabled by digital and data, which is a very different way of working. And, uh, and actually many of our marketing and R&D associates are exactly the same associates as before, but finding a new energy and working in different ways. So I think it's a combination of testing and learning, sprinting, bringing in expertise. I, don't, I wouldn't say we've cracked it completely, but we're, we're seeing some fantastic progress um, and some great, great green shoots across the business. You, you mentioned the chief digital officers and you have all these digital transformations uh, happening in basically all companies that, that I know of. The way I look at it is that basically any digital transformation that doesn't put the customer journey at its very heart is a missed opportunity. It doesn't say that it shouldn't, that it can't be successful. It can't lead to, I don't know, increased efficiencies or something, but it's just a missed opportunity. And, and so also the, the CMOs in our program, we talk about how, what the role is and how you make sure you're in the drive seat or next to the driver's seat as a, mar- as a, as a marketing function with, you know, being the voice of the outside world and the customer very specifically, or consumer. Um, um, To what extent is is marketing indeed deeply involved or or in the driver's seat of these these digital transformations happening in Mars? Yeah, so I think from a, from a, a CMO marketing perspective, absolutely fundamental, uh, I would, I would say, and this is the, the big advantage I, I had or, challenge I had moving into the CMO role, as I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, was that the timing of that um, was hugely challenging, but very energizing as well, given the level of disruption that was happening. And I think, you know, as we play that forwards, the role of our CMOs now as being um, architects of growth, but real change agents for the future, being able to bring all of the external confusion into the business and make sense of that, and then turn that into compelling strategies with a bias for action is is absolutely how I would see the CMO role and if I look at the CMOs we've now got there's some brilliant examples not just the CMOs actually but all the way through the business of partnerships with the digital with the digital teams that we got in the businesses and um, to give you a couple of examples we've um, we had Clarence Mack who was uh, our CMO for for food I'm delighted to say he's now in my team. So we've, uh, we've moved Clarence into uh, president for China and he's bringing all of his knowledge of uh, marketing, digital and disruption in our most disruptive market, which is really helping us to reinvent uh, China. We'll take another CMO. Um, many of you know Leonid Sudikov, who uh, was the CMO for our pet care business. He's now moved into the president of Kinship, um, part of our pet care ecosystem, and is bringing a lot of digital disruption and leading it there. So, 
I really see the CMO role as being that, that growth architect, that translator, but very importantly, that ability to then drive change through the business. So, so I hear that a lot of things go really well at Mars Wrigley. What is the most important pitfall for marketers? Maybe not per se Mars Wrigley. Let, let's just say more broadly. What's, what's the biggest watch out? I mean, what's the one thing that you would that you're always pushing marketers to do less or more of? I do have a sort of slightly different vantage point, I guess, versus the majority on, on the call. Um, you know, I would consider myself a best to be a business marketeer who fortunately then was into the, the CMO role with a more of a, as you say, more of a customer and general management background. I think the advantage I had then was to be able to ask the, the obvious questions, the difficult questions, and to drive more of a, a, a disruptive agenda I think a change agenda across the business so I think my encouragement for all CMOs um, Catherine our chief growth officer now uh, in Mars Wrigley um, the the brilliant talent we've got through the business is is to is to think enterprise um, and to really break the silos um, across the business and if there's one function that has the ability to do that, it's marketing. Because marketing is at the heart of, of everything, the heart of the consumer, of course, and, and touches pretty much every function. And I still find at times that we, we have opportunities to connect the dots better. And I just encourage all the CMOs to really take that sort of broader leadership, growth, growth architect piece, break the silos and create, create the, the environment to, to drive change that was so effective in, in breaking down those, those silos. Yeah, when, you, when you use the examples, they, in some ways they sound so obvious. You say, well, why, why were we not doing that before? And yet the, the multiplier effects of doing this is enormous. So I'll give you a very current example, actually. Um, so it's probably best to pick China in, in some of these cases because China is so much further ahead, in, certainly in our business, in terms of digitizing and working with, with data, working with different platforms. And... What, what Clarence and his team have been able to do very recently is combine a number of factors together. So I take M&M's as our, our biggest brand in, in Mars Wrigley. We have a, a, a very good sized brand. It's not our biggest brand in China, actually. Dove is our biggest brand, but it's, it's, a, uh, it's still a good sized brand. We have a, an innovation facility. We have our factory supply network. We have brilliant customer partnerships with Alibaba, Tencent and others. And we've got the best sales force coverage versus anyone, um, with probably the exception of Coke. Um, and yet, I, I didn't feel that all of those elements were connected up enough. Um, and what we've been able to do recently is, with some of our innovations on M&Ms, is literally connect the whole ecosystem up with data at the, the center, with consumer at the center, working out how we innovate with, uh, with an Alibaba, a T-Mall platform, very much linked to our stores, driving additional traffic, and then linking that all the way through our digital um, uh, ecosystem all the way through to our route to market so o to, o to o, online to offline all the way through to our sales force to be able to drive an execution and again when i say that it sounds like it sounds so obvious um but to be able to do that you need the vision you need the partnerships and you need the courage to, to drive that through and i think clarence not just clarence all of his leadership team and some brilliant marketeers uh, and sales guys have, have, uh, have really driven that to the next level so i think one example frank i could pick plenty but always good to pick a current one Good, thank you. So, so I, I want to share a question. And uh, the question is, what's the primacy metric of success for your brands from a marketing perspective? And how important is brand love? 
We've got a whole suite of metrics for uh, our brands. I think that the most, the most important in many ways is, is penetration. Uh, I'm a big believer in uh, the laws of growth, evidence-based marketing. Uh, and I know this can be controversial with some, but really making sure that our brands are relevant and continuing to be relevant for consumers of today and tomorrow. And I think where we, where we haven't focused sufficiently on recruitment and penetration we've sometimes lost a generation or a cohort or, or whatever. So continuing to make sure our brands remain relevant. And of course, trust comes into that equation. But if you ask me to pick one, it will be, it will be penetration. Andrew, ex- explain to me. I mean, as long and any leader I spoke to and worked with at Mars will, you know, at, at, at the right and sometimes also the wrong moments, start, to start mentioning the loss of growth and the Ehrenberg Bas work. How on earth is it possible that you then forget about penetration or don't, don't put enough attention to that? That's what, I mean, somebody who wouldn't agree with those laws probably won't have a job in Mars is, 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 is almost the way it feels to me. Then how is it possible that, that this is not enough on the radar? I, I didn't say it wasn't enough on the radar, Frank. I said it was, uh, it was the most important metric and there's been, there's been occasions where we maybe lost, uh, lost focus. So, I, th- I think it's, it's a great question and, and it's a reminder when you've got a big organization that you need to continually have a, a, what I would call a growth philosophy, quality growth mindset of what that takes because a lot of these laws are, uh, the research, the evidence-based um, are maybe counterintuitive as, as many of you will agree, I'm sure. And of course, as the world evolves, many questions are asked as well. You know, what happens with, with digital? What happens with loyalty? What happens in a, you know, with, with insurgents? What happens? Does that, does that change the laws? Does that change the way we look at things? And what I found fascinating in my CMO time, I, and, and which I've now taken into, into Mars Ridley, was the ability to, again, go evidence-based, to really research what, what's working from what I call a quality growth perspective. And what I looked at with my, with my team at the time, yes, we had all the, the, the science-based um, laws of growth, our version of, of that, our codification. But equally, I was interested, I'm sure like you, Frank, from Institute of Real Growth, on the behavior side, the leadership side. And we, we looked at our top 60 markets, so breaking our business units down into the top 60 by, by scale. And we looked back seven years um, in each of those units and we looked at which units continually outperformed across seven years versus those that went up and down maybe went down and up versus the flat lines um, and then looked to codify what was unique about those those units that managed to deliver consistent growth and absolutely the, the evidence base was part of that but there was four or five other things which were which were fascinating um, including the enterprise approach which I just talked about breaking the silos um, uncommon collaboration uh, with the partnerships are so really having different partnerships which help the business to be future orientated uh, as, as an example um, placing and it sounds so obvious but placing the bets on the growth categories and staying the course yeah. and actually we found that would be a- my number one if, if, if you would have asked me what do you think yeah. I would have said by, by, by quite some distance Staying the course would Staying be course, number one. I think that, I mean, evidence-based, that would suggest that as well. If you, if you go to Ember Bass, you go to granularity of growth or beyond hockey stick or which any, any of these good yeah. reads would su- suggest stay the course. But it's, to your point on behaviours, it's quite interesting that even though the science is there, the, the logic's there, often we don't do that. We don't have the courage to continually lead back or invest because we're looking for a short-term return or 
there's something else happening or we're overinflating an innovation that's coming rather than saying, no, this is, this is the area to back for the long run. So I found that fascinating. What we've done with that, a combination of uh, what we call the laws of growth plus the behavioral leadership elements, we've combined that into a program we call Growth Legacy, which we then roll through um, in Mars Wrigley, all of our top markets to then sharpen our, our strategies. And that's, that's working very well for us. Great. Let me see. Rebecca Lyons asked, how do you feel category leadership has helped put shopper and consumer at the heart of Mars business? Now, if this is the Rebecca Lyons I know, she also has a good background in Mars so, and a good background in, in category. So probably a, a leading question, Rebecca, um, but a great, a great question. I mean, I, I, funnily enough, my first job was, uh, within Mars was, was category leadership. I, I still have a big passion that the category leadership needs to be the centerpiece for, for everything. Uh, getting the portfolio strategy right with our brands linked to a category vision and then being able to translate that through the whole business is paramount. And if we get that right, that connects everything, connects the consumer all the way back to the supplier. Um, and we haven't always got that completely through the value chain. That's something I'm, I'm very passionate about, Rebecca. I want to talk, so the whole philosophy of the Institute for Real Growth is helping CMOs and other growth leaders shift from a short-term capital markets focus, shareholder focus, to a long-term all stakeholders focus, including, by the way, the capital markets, but also colleagues, consumers, communities that you operate and capital markets. What I see, let's say, in the world at large, the business world at large, is that pre-COVID, the prime focus for most companies was on capital markets and consumer. COVID happened and it shifted exactly to colleagues first and the communities, you know, the world in which we operate. With Mars being actually already being family owned and having these principles that are more about neutrality and, and so about stakeholder value, have you seen still have you seen a shift by COVID also in Mars with, with, with focus on specific stakeholders? I would I would I describe this. I, I would probably describe this as bringing out the best of Mars in many ways. And we often say we we're good in a crisis. Um, I mean this has been a very, very challenging time for the whole world and many of our associates and the communities, of course. Um, and I think we've broken this into, into phases, like most businesses, so nothing clever in what I'm about to say, but, um, but I think we've done it in a very principled and purpose-led manner. So firstly, most importantly, protecting our associates and the communities in which they, they live um, and making sure that our associates and the communities are safe and well and doing what they, we can to stop the spread. So secondly, doubling down to make sure we have continuity in our business operations. And that might sound straightforward, but like many on the call, that's hugely challenging in the global business and interconnected world. Yeah. Um, we've had huge growth in our pet and food businesses, uh, our ice cream business as well, keeping those raw materials going, keeping our factories running, keeping them as safe, as I mentioned earlier, as possible, um, and being able to still distribute our products to our customers um, has been key. Of course, within that, and we'll come back to this later, we've seen, as, as everyone's seen, huge shifts as well in transactions. So that's put an extra yeah. tension into um, where transactions are happening and therefore digitization and certainly for Mars Wrigley, of course, you know, more planned purchases than impulse purchases, which is a, it's accelerated a trend that we knew was happening and that's put us under pressure in, in different areas. And then I, I think, 
you know, very significantly, how do we come through this, the, the sort of third phase, like every business, more strongly? How do we come out of COVID as a, as a better business? And I think through that, there's many good examples, Frank. There's great examples of what we've done at a, at a local level with our brands in our communities, investing in our communities, small gestures with our brands, whether that's uh, thank you packs from M&Ms or donations of extra or, or Easter eggs into the NHS in the UK, whatever it is, um, as well as monetary donations in, in West Africa, et cetera. So we've done our piece with the communities, which is great. We stood by our associates um, through, the, through the difficult times. And I think we're starting to learn to do things very, very differently as well, which is fascinating, which will make us better. So I'll give you one very simple example from, from this week. Um, Raw Cannon, our, our pet, uh, pet business, brilliant business led by Loic. We have a, a veterinary symposium happening literally this week. Normally we would have a few thousands veterinary practitioners attending. We've got 45,000 that have registered online as a result. So doing this in a very different way drives reach in a very different way, um, which helps the whole industry. And again, it's a great example of doing what's right for the long run. So honestly, I would say this has brought the best out. It's been hugely taxing. It's been um, a resilience test. I'm sure it has for all of the leaders on the call. Uh, I, I can talk about that personally, trying to juggle a family and um, difficult commitments, parents in another country and um, you know, friends and family elsewhere and trying to lead a business through a very difficult change has been hugely taxing, but I think we'll all come through it more, more strongly, Frank. So uh, that'll be my simple answer. And it makes me proud to be part of Mars, to be honest. Well, that's, it's, that, that's very good to hear, uh, Andrew. We've seen the digital age brings dangers as well as benefits. Uh, for yeah. example, the pervasive growth of hate speech. Yeah. Um, the challenge of to consumer privacy as companies gather data. How do you see it as possible to embrace the growth these platforms bring and yet at the same time maintain your principles? I mean, I think principles come, come first. Um, and what we stand for comes first, of course, uh, and our responsibility to do what's right. It's been a very challenging time for all of us, of course, in terms of what's happening and what's likely to continue to happen. At the same time, we have a responsibility to be part of the solution. Um, and many of the platforms we are strategic partners with, as I'm sure most of the CMOs in the call are as well, and therefore trying to find solutions in these highly complex situations, which squares with our principles and what we stand for, but also enables the good of these platforms, because I think they do a lot of good in the world as well. It has been our, our mission and I think we I would argue we got that about right I you know, we'll make a big thing of it we we did pause some of our investments we worked through the GARM with a number of other big players to find some solutions to have more transparency more auditing more control and we're now comfortable with the roadmaps that are in place and we'll continue to, to drive that so I think I think being part of the solution but of course that comes with back to your point around choices because arguably that put a societal choice before a profit choice frankly um, and we, we saw some declines in some of our digitally native businesses as a consequence of that decision sort of proves the point that the platform works I guess you could argue it's a very good uh, alpha beta test but um, but you know genuinely this you know in, internally these are difficult conversations uh, around what's right you know profit versus principles and in this case again I'm proud to say I think we did the right thing it came at some profit cost but again the long run and importantly, retaining our partnerships um, and being part of the solution is important. So that's, that's how I would articulate the answer. So you said it's about, uh, rightfully so, about balancing these, these objectives, profits versus principles. Um, what's, what's your biggest regret 
And, and I could phrase it differently. What's your biggest learning from things you've done? You said, well, we sh really shouldn't have done it that way. I think, I think the, the learning, which actually probably goes back to the brilliance of the brilliance of the, the founders of the business is to, to, is to take the long-term decision, even though it's, it's probably very hard and it requires real courage. And, and honestly, I, I talk to John Mars now, which I do um, regularly, as you can imagine, uh, giving me advice. Um, it's still in, in, inspiring how he and, and, and the rest of the family, but he can, he can still see the long-term and, and guide for what's right for, for the future and take some bold bold moves which are, are difficult and, and of course I'm along with my team trying to manage a very difficult P&L and, and how, to, how to drive the best value for the shareholders as well and I think the, the learning is go faster on the long term. Easy said so then the question is how do you do that and I think the how to is back to that connecting the dots, back to that test and learn, back to that placing some, some bets which maybe don't cost a fortune but you can prove whether they're working and give confidence to the organization uh, and then scale them when they do work. So I think my, it's a regret, but it, it's a reminder that you've got to take those, those long-term, that long-term perspective and, and place those test and learns as quickly as yeah. possible to then scale them. Um, you know, when I reflect back over the two years, it's probably examples. Like, I wish I'd have done more of that. I wish I'd have put more money there. I wish I'd have yeah. driven that a bit harder because of course, the more you plant those seeds, the quicker you can harvest the benefits down the line. Um, and I'm, I'm very, uh, very self-reflective and self-critical of, you know, I should have gone faster there. Um, should have put more money there. Should have been bolder there. Should have moved resources quicker there. That's the sort of, uh, and that's a good reminder. So when the next one comes up, be, be stronger, be bolder. Yeah. How, how do you describe yourself as a leader? It's always better for other people to describe you as a leader, I guess, rather than yourself. Well, I, um, how do you think others describe you as a leader? Um, I, I don't know. I think, I think things are important to me. I, I would describe myself as a, a, a leader that continues to learn. That's what's most in, important for, for me. Uh, I'm passionate about, about learning. Um, I guess in my early career, I was learning to lead, and now I'm sort of leading to learn and being curious and trying to be as future orientated as possible and, and building a team that can, that can help to navigate these, you know, very complex times. So that, that, that's sort of the, the heart. I mean, secondly, I do have a real passion for building great teams, great talent. Um, and, and thirdly, all in service, as I mentioned before, of a legacy. So how to build something, a business that is better than the one that I inherited with my team. Uh, and I can build a team that, and a, and a, you know, a culture and a, a business that I'm proud to hand over to somebody else to take it to the next level. I know it maybe sounds a little cliched, but uh, for me, the most important thing is, is learning and continuing to learn. It's interesting. I, I, the other day I read a book by Bob Chapman. It's called uh, Everybody Matters. He is, the, I think, the CEO or the founder, maybe even Barry Waymiller, which is a pretty large company. And his philosophy is that, that like the title suggests, that every employee matters and that there is no such thing as uh, as somebody um, you know who, who can't fit the company it's all about creating the right space condition and context and then everybody will blossom exactly i floated that idea with some venture capitalists and they were <laughs> as you can imagine like no if it doesn't work immediately kick the person out that's better in the long run for everybody 
Where are you on that scale? Uh, I think the most important thing I can do is to is to create to create the environment, um, uh, you know, real clarity of, clarity of strategic vision. Where are we going? Um, cr create the environment and then build that team. And of course, in building that team, that invariably means some changes. I mean, I've made a significant amount of change in my my current team, but I'm I'm very proud of, proud of the team that I've now got two years later and. Um, what we're trying to achieve, achieve, you know, a blend of promotions internally, a blend of hires externally, uh, um, you know, a balanced team gender and geography and ethnicity, um, and a team I think that can take us through to the next level. So, I, I think the most most important responsibility for me is to is to build the team and to create the environment. So, you know, that does mean at times changing changing players and, and blending a team that's ready for the next the next phase. I mean, I'm a very different leader to my predecessor. He did a he did a brilliant job integrating Mars and, and Wrigley together. Um, and, and, you know, probably time for me to come in and bring a, a different momentum and dimension and there'll be a time for somebody else to take the business forward as well. And I think that's the mindset really of uh, creating the environment where people can be at their best and confront the reality of what we're all facing. Um, be decisive through, through those times and, and create something that's better. I think we're almost at the end, Andrew. And I was just thinking... If there's, if there's one thing that you would want people to take away from this, you know, investing an hour of uh, their Friday in, in, in listening to us, what, what would that be? Um, I, I would probably go back to my learning point and I would say yeah. be obsessively curious. Every interaction that you have, every individual you speak to, even the people you don't get on with, what can you learn? What can you do to, to take yourself to the next level and, and then continue to reinvent? And, and so what did you learn uh, in, in this conversation? I, I think, I, I mean, I, I think the, um, the good thing about these conversations is just the ability to, to talk with somebody hopefully like-minded about what's, what's possible. And um, again, it makes me, makes me think about the, the audience that's out there and the, the brilliance that's, in other businesses and a reflection of telling the Mars story is one thing. What can we learn as well from, from the Institute of Real Growth? What can we learn from, from others as well? So, you know, proudly tell the Mars story, but there's also brilliance elsewhere. So how do we, how do we blend the brilliance between us to, to create a better, a better world for the future? Great. Well, Andrew, uh, thank you very much. It was a very open and uh, honest conversation. Uh, Undoubtedly, people took a lot more out than, than, than just the point you made about learning. Uh, I did for sure, so, so thank you. Thanks, Frank. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.